for example, one thing, oh, one thing that's really helpful, and this one is regardless of what role you're in, is to create a zap that basically sets up um, when, when you have a, a, a new Slack message that you star or you save, I think they recently changed it to save, it automatically creates a to-do card in your Trello board. And this one is so simple, but Amazing. it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it makes things so much easier because again, when you're remote, right, so much of that conversation happens in, in Slack. So sometimes you will have things to do or you will have these tasks that you have to follow up on there in Slack and it becomes really easy to forget them or they get, just get lost in the sea of all this communication going on. So it's a really simple thing of just like saving the message and then it automatically creates a card in Trello. So that's one that I love and use a lot. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. I'm very excited. I'm very excited uh, about having you today. Uh, Zapier is one of my favorite products in the world, to be honest. And, oh, that's um, awesome. That's so great to hear. Yeah, and I'm so thrilled, you know, to hear your story and to learn from you. So today um, is a great day because we have uh, as a guest Lina Ko, um, a, content, a senior content uh, designer uh, at Zapier. Zapier is one of my favorite products today and uh, yeah, how are you Lina? I'm doing good. How are you today Yuval? Pretty crazy days with all of the COVID-19 things <laughs> going on, right? Yes, that's right. I think crazy days is a perfect description. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? You're in Canada right now? Yes, that's right. I am currently in Vancouver, BC, but I am originally from Singapore. Uh, so the reason why I'm actually here is because my husband is doing a master's in data science at the University of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that I, um, so it's, it's really lucky that I work for a remote company, which meant that I was able to get hired in Singapore and then move here to Canada. Fantastic. Amazing. And we're going to talk also about the remote culture of Zapier later mm-hmm. on because Zapier is an all remote company uh, and everybody That's are right. super curious to know about the remote culture and the remote guide also that you just released and mm-hmm. I had a chance to check it out as well. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, first of all, so you're in Canada right now, you moved from Singapore. Amazing. And uh, mm-hmm. you've been in Zapier since June, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, so just almost a year. Nice. So for the listeners who aren't sure what Zapier is all about, so which kind of product is Zapier? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for those that aren't familiar with us, Zapier is a tool that connects your apps and it moves information between them automatically. So it gives you time to focus on work that's more important. So uh, for example, you might use Zapier to connect maybe Gmail, Dropbox, and Slack so that each time you receive an email with an attachment in Gmail, Zapier will automatically upload the file to Dropbox and then it will send you a message on Slack with a link to the file. So basically the goal of Zapier is to make you more productive by improving your workflow and you know, automating these kinds of tedious tasks for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me uh, add my take about Zapier. So basically Zapier is a magic product, okay? It's a magical product. There is nothing like the first time that I created a task on Zapier that actually worked and served my goals felt like I have a superpower, okay? So you can do like tasks that have like eight different stages 
And when you book an appointment in your calendar, it sends you an email and it updates your colleague and give you a Slack notification and maybe download the attachment to the Google Drive. And there is some kind of a revolution these days, the no-code revolution. People that try to, mm-hmm. to do stuff without actually coding. And Zapier is a great tool That's that hard. actually allows you to do many stuff without coding. And um, I, I love this product. Yeah, I think that's a perfect description. You know, the idea is that you don't have to be a developer. You don't have to know even really how an API works in order to use Zapier because the concepts behind it are really quite simple. Um, It's just that, you know, before tools like Zapier came along, you would have to know uh, how to do a lot of this on your own. Exactly, exactly. And um, I recommend, and uh, by the way, as we said, Zapier is the all remote team. So I would uh, love to learn first about the role of the writer, the content uh, designer within the product team of uh, Zapier. So what is the structure uh, more or less? Uh, Sure. So I was actually the first ever content designer at Zapier. So prior to that, you know, the designers, the devs, the PMs, they would write their own copy. So they would sometimes, you know, maybe engage like product or content marketing because that used to be like the closest, the closest function to content design and UX writing at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really interesting. My first couple of months at Zapier, uh, it was spent educating everyone in, in product about what the discipline of content design was and, and why it's so important and so valuable. So in an introduction to content design to the designers, for example, I use this thought exercise that's, I think, quite popular in our field which is basically where you present the visual interface of an app and then you remove all the copy and you ask them to imagine like what a user would be able to do. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason that it's really popular because it works really well. It gets people to think about how important words are to, you know, the design, how important words are to the whole user experience. Um, So at the beginning, um, my manager and I also looked for opportunities where I could be helpful and proactively asked to participate. So it could be in like relevant discussions that were taking place on Slack, or it could be maybe joining some team meetings. And one thing that I would also do was I would lurk in some Slack channels. (laughs) So I would follow a few different channels of different teams or different projects. And then if I saw something that uh, I felt I could contribute or, or share an insight, you know, of course, respectfully, I would just gently insert myself into the conversation. Um, So I think one of the the biggest aha moment probably came when I was maybe three, four months in. Uh, We had a working group that was dedicated to the new user journey and the onboarding experience. And this entire journey has historically had different teams working on different parts of the journey, which is very common, right? I think in a lot of companies and working on products, this is a very common experience. So one of the things that I decided to do was to create a content map and do a gap analysis of the user journey. So from the awareness stage to when the user signs up to when they get onboarded and then after they create and turn on their first set. So some of these insights were definitely really interesting for folks in this group because uh, again, like a lot of them only worked previously on one part of the journey. So something that you are probably very familiar with, but I'm, I'm going to explain just for the benefit of your listeners, mm-hmm. we use the concept of tasks as a building unit. So each time a Zap runs, you know, every action it performs successfully counts as like one task. So right. if a Zap has three actions, it will use uh, three tasks each time it runs and it performs all the steps inside. And our pricing plans are very heavily structured around 
task usage. So it's a pretty important unit of value to us as a business. Uh, the big problem was that we weren't introducing this concept really anywhere in the new user journey, you know, from, from onboarding uh, up until the moment that a user turns on their first app. They really only come across this concept when they first navigate to their task history. And even then, it's not really explained what it means. So I remember this being very eye-opening for everyone at the meeting, you know, some of whom had been at Zapier for like four, five, six years. Because uh, even though it was very widely known, you know, from support tickets that uh, users frequently didn't understand the concept of what tasks were, no one really knew why. And it was really just because something like a content map of the user journey, you know, or some sort of content audit had never really been done and had ne really never been analyzed. Mm -hmm. um, so over time, this became kind of a happy problem. I would have more and more people from product reaching out to me uh, to include me in meetings, to ask for my help and to involve me in the process. And wow, that's it amazing. Really, yeah, it, it basically got to a point where a lot of them would start by saying, you know, I know you must be really busy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that um, you will hire more writers soon? Um, yeah, so things have definitely changed a bit because of the situation right now. Right. Um, so we are still hiring for some roles, but we, we did have one uh, content designer role that was uh, put on pause for a little bit. But definitely the longer term goal is to hire more people on this team. Because uh, at Zapier, I'm, I'm, content design is basically part of this larger team that we call UX Plus. So mm -hmm. it sits together with UX research and research operations. So the functions in our team are really considered shared product services. So we're not tied to any one specific product team, but we might work with some more than others. Uh, so our goal is basically to champion, uh, you know, UX at Zapier. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with what you said about like having more content designers, like for example, uh, we actually have two very distinct user groups. I think most people that know Zapier probably only really think about the first one, which is people like you, right? People who sign up for Zapier because they want to use the Zap editor to create Zaps to automate their tasks. But there's actually a second very different user group, which is our integration partners. So these are people that use the Zapier platform to connect their apps APIs to Zapier to create you know, the integration for their app. Uh, so companies like Google or Slack, you know, are integration partners. Uh, so that's a very different user group because they have a very different purpose of coming to Zapier and they're going to the platform, they're not going right. to the editor. Uh, but we, we don't really have anyone to look at that right now from, you know, a content design or content strategy perspective because my focus right now is on the end user of uh, the Zap editor. So mm -hmm. I work with the teams that span the user journey for, you know, that user. Um, yeah. Right. And the, the second group is like more tech savvies, people that work with APIs. Probably yeah, exactly. The, the developers. Nice. Uh, that of course you need to use probably more technical language with them, uh, still conversational, but they will understand like more technical terms. And mm -hmm, stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So we were definitely looking for someone with uh, that technical ability because mm -hmm. uh, it's it's definitely really really important when you're speaking to developers they, they to trust you i think they need to believe that you know what you're talking about uh they need to believe that what they're reading what they're hearing from you is accurate and is trustworthy mm -hmm. the i i must say that uh, uh, and uh, i can't hold my enthusiasm but but the the content of the product of zapier was always like 
something that was picking my attention. Like even the loaders, when you do some kind of a data pool with one task and then mm -hmm. they say something about Wonder Woman is loading or something like that. You know what I'm mm -hmm. talking about? Yeah, I do. I do. I'm not sure, right? but yeah, also we I have a lot of copy like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like like a lot of funny stuff even, but also very clear stuff as well. Like making the most complicated thing in the world so simple, and also even we can talk about like I read a few case studies about the SEO strategy of how like writing about different integrations brought so many users to your platform. So the content operations in general in of Zapier is something mm -hmm. that really picked my attention in the last few years. Oh yeah, for sure. We have a really, really great, um, you know, content marketing and SEO team. Um, so I guess like historically at Zapier, that was uh, the focus of content, right? I think before, up until I joined, we had a very heavy focus on comms and marketing. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think I was the first content person to be hired that was really more about the product experience, really more about what happens after the user signs up. Amazing. Um, I would love to talk a little bit about uh, how is it to work in a remote culture? So you said that the name of your team is the UX Plus? Yeah, that's right. It's sort of the, I don't even remember if it's an official or unofficial name, but yeah, that's what we go by, UX Plus. So it's content design, uh, UX research, and UX operations. Fantastic. And how, how is it to work as a remote, uh, in that remote team? Like how, how your day looks like or your week or what, how the culture looks like in that kind of product team? Uh, so like specifically in UX plus or just like generally across product at, at Zapier? Uh, let's talk about generally. Okay. Uh, let me see. Well, you know, one thing that is really interesting about Zapier, you know, it's because it's fully remote. Um, since the company was founded in 2011, there have been no physical offices. So the three founders started the company working remotely and each employee that they've hired since then has joined like, the same remote work culture. So mm -hmm. we currently have over 300 employees in like 28 different countries. So that's, that's a lot crazy. of different time zones, for example. Yeah. Uh, so really what the culture is like, uh, it, it kind of boils down to how we hire for people and, and what we look for um, in an applicant. Uh, so I think there are a few traits that are pretty common among people at Zapier. Um, they have, for example, like this default to action mentality. So, you know, it's really important, I think, in a re remote working environment that you hire people who are willing to just do the work and that don't need someone to tell them what to do, you know, assign work to them. Because in a remote environment, you want to move quickly, you want to move in tension, you want to respect uh, the time that other people have uh, we also have a lot of uh, people who can prioritize very well. So it's, and that's another thing, right? You, because you don't have someone usually giving you work or assigning you work, it's usually up to you to decide what is important for you to do. So a lot, people are generally quite good at being able to focus on the right task and knowing how to say no to things that are less impactful. Um, another common trend I would say is that people have very good writing skills. And that's very, very important for a remote company because uh, we have to document a lot of things, as many things as possible, uh, because a lot of it happens on places like Slack and you know, private messages. 
uh, some of it does happen on Zoom, of course, but really the vast majority of it happens asynchronously. So it's mostly through these mediums where we use text and we use writing. So if you struggle to write clearly and concisely, you might struggle on a remote team. Uh, so we do have people who can write and convey, you know, what they feel, what they're working on very clearly. Um, and I think one thing that I've also noticed is people really trust one another a lot. And that's really, really important, right? Because some people, for example, are micromanagers and they would probably just lose it if, if the person that they were managing wasn't in the same you know, physical office as them and they couldn't see them every day or they couldn't see what they were working on. Uh, they would probably lose sleep over that. But at Zapier, you, you, you simply don't have that luxury, right? Uh, you're not in the same physical space as everyone else. Everyone's at their own workstation in their own country, in their own city. So we make sure that the people that we hire um, are people that can be trusted and that will also be open to trusting others who, who they work with. Uh, yeah, so I, I think it's really, these are probably the big things that are really common in employees at Zapier. So that helps to create a very strong remote work culture. But really, I think a lot of people are more capable of working remotely than they give themselves credit for, which is really interesting, right, in this time, because a lot of people now are working remotely, not really because they have a choice, but because they, um, you know, their office has been closed, and so they were told to just work from home. Um, it's really interesting to see some companies that have historically been very anti-work from home now having no choice where they have their employees work from home. Um, but really a lot of the same, I think the same traits that make you a good worker also make you a good remote worker. You know, being a self-starter, being a good communicator, being really receptive to feedback, um, interacting with other people with empathy and kindness. You know, these things, they're not specific to remote work. Um, no matter what company you're in, if, even if you do go into a physical office to work, I think these are traits that are important for you to become a good worker as well. Amazing. Uh, I have so many takeaways here because, you know, so many people listening to us right now, as you said, and they need to go to be remote workers. Like they didn't have the, uh, they didn't work for a company that was remote. So my takeaways are when you work remote is to be a good writer, a good communicator and mm -hmm. have a great way to convey your ideas and have focus. So you will know how to prioritize prioritize your task, have trust, and to know that it's not as hard as you might think. And those yeah. are fantastic points. Uh, I also signed your, uh, in the Zapier remote guide, that there is like different, uh, I would say like ceremonies, like culture things, like uh, watching Netflix together or like having some uh, parties. Do You can share a little bit more about that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that is something that's, again, really interesting, right? Because right now, <laughs> uh, we're starting to see a lot of people use Zoom for fun, when in right. the past, it's historically... Me and my friends. We, did, we just had a wedding on Zoom with all of my friends. Oh, amazing. Yeah, exactly. People are having Zoom weddings now. Yeah. Um, they're, <laughs> you know, they're playing, like, uh, games on, you know, Zoom, or they're, they're watching Netflix together on Zoom. Yeah, and it's really interesting because... Um, for us at Zapier, this is not actually that new because since we've never had a physical office, this is the kind of thing that we've had to do in the past, you know, before all this started to really be social and to interact with other people in a non-work setting. Before it was setting. cool. 
Yeah, <laughs> before it was cool, <laughs> before it was necessary, I guess, and it was just kind of a thing that we could do and it was fun for us to do. Uh, so, yeah, I think one thing you, you might have heard is like the Zapier dance party. Uh, I think it, it's, it, it was before I joined, but the story is infamous. It was basically like one day where the queue was really slow in support. And then someone just decided that they were going to have a dance party. So they just put on a song and then everyone took like videos of themselves and gifts of themselves dancing and they just like all put it in a channel. And I, I think that was pretty popular that the post that they had, like all the pictures and the gifts became really popular. Uh, but of course, besides these things like dance parties, we also do um, just have a lot of channels, for example, on Slack that are about fun. Uh, I'm in so many different channels that have fun, you know, attached to them, like it's part of the name. Uh, so there's fun cats, for example, because we were talking before this interview started, I said I have a cat. And that's a pretty active channel, because um, a lot of us have cats and love cats at Zapier. Uh, there's fun drag race, which is, um, I'm not sure if you know this show, Who Calls Drag Race. It's not that like a mainstream show, but it has enough fans at, at Zapier that we, there are enough of us that someone started a channel. Um, so there's things like that, you know, on an everyday basis that it, it really helps so much because we're not always talking about work. And for, for me, it, it's really helpful because in these channels, I get to talk to people that I might never work with. You know, in Fun Cats, for example, I frequently interact with these other people who I don't really have to work with in my day-to-day -day job. And so it's really nice. It feels like I'm getting to know people more. And I think this is something that tends to happen less when you have a physical office, right? Because you, you tend to make friends primarily with the people that you work very closely with, the people that you see and you speak with every day. But uh, when you work remote, there really isn't that barrier there. It's kind of up to you who you want to interact with, um, you know, who you want to spend time with. Uh, so yeah, I, I really like stuff like that a lot. It, it's simple, but it, it really makes a big difference. And for example, like the UX, the UX Plus team, we now every Friday, we just have uh, one hour where we just come on Zoom just to talk about anything but work. So it's really nice. We just come on at like 10 a.m. Pacific time and there's no agenda and nothing at all. The conversation just naturally, you know, takes turns here and there. Um, yeah, and these things really make me grateful because of course, working remotely, you know, it, it can feel like you're not really connected with everyone else. It, it definitely is easy to feel that way. But when you have these sort of initiatives, when you have these kinds of channels of communication that aren't just about work, it, it makes a big difference. And it, it does make you feel like you're closer to your colleagues, even though you're not seeing them face to face. That's uh, really amazing, like to have that kind of culture. And I think that in that kind of culture, you can have also opportunities and many people are doing the transition right now from, uh, you know, corporate uh, office work uh, to tour mm -hmm. remote because of the situation. And now they have the chance to speak with, I don't know, a few marketing people or developers that they never had the chance, but they have maybe a lot in common and they could, I don't know, hang out with, have fun, even if it's online. Uh, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent which is really, really cool. By the way, do you meet in real life at Zapier um, once in a while? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. I mean, one thing that's really, really nice about, you know, having a fully remote company is that you save a lot of money when it comes to these like operational costs like rent and, you know, utilities. So right. what we do do with that money that we save, we have these things uh, called retreats. So mm -hmm. they 
um, they basically are these like all company hangouts that we have twice a year where everyone gets together for a week to work on like cross-functional projects, brainstorming sessions, team initiatives. And it's not just all work and no play. You know, we also do have dedicated time and budget to, to do a lot of fun things. So we might go for a full day team outing to a team park or we might uh, attend a chocolate tasting that's led by one of our own employees. Nice. Uh, so it's really special when we do get to meet up. I, it was really funny because I think at the end of the last retreat, um, someone described the feeling of showing up for a retreat and leaving like summer camp. And <laughs> I think that that's the perfect description. So if you have no idea what a retreat like this looks like, just imagine like instead of a bunch of kids, you have a group of fully grown adults who are really, really excited at a summer camp. And that's basically what our retreats are. So I've been, I've been pretty lucky um, since I, I came, obviously before all this began, uh, I've been for two Zapier retreats. So the first was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and then the second one was in Orlando, Florida. So that was what I was talking about when I said like some teams actually went out uh, to Disney World for, for a team outing. Wow. And I've really had the ability to make you know, so many great memories on these retreats. And I got to know a lot of my colleagues so well um, uh, at, at, at these um, you know occasions like I some people I would sit with and just talk with for three hours or just like hang out with them by the pool you know go out with them and you know before again like this whole situation started we did have a product retreat that was scheduled for the end of this month in LA and we had an, a, our next all company retreat was uh, going to be in August in Austin in Texas so of course these two retreats have now been cancelled and postponed respectively and it's it's definitely a bummer but we're aware of the need that, you know, to keep everyone safe and to be responsible. Right. And I think like the next time, the next retreat that comes along, I think we'll be even more appreciative. Right. I also think that you're very lucky as well, because while everybody are like struggling with all of the remote stuff going on, you're like, um, I guess it's not a walk in the park for you guys, but you, you I guess you handle the situation pretty well. Yeah, it's, I, I know that our founders are definitely getting a lot of media requests. Um, a lot of people have been reaching out because uh, they want to hear from the founders about how they've established this remote work culture a long time ago. What are some of the best ways to transition quickly to remote work? So it's been a really, really interesting time for, for Zapier because we've been put into the spotlight uh, for reasons other than our product, right? For reasons that have to do with our uh, culture. work culture. Um, that's been really, really interesting. Yes, I'm going also to share your, uh, your remote uh, guide in the show notes as well. Yeah, I, uh, that, that's great. I think um, people will definitely be able to uh, use that. So I guess I could just, you know, talk about that quickly. Um, that remote guide is basically something that we created. And we've, we actually recently also updated because we had some stuff in there that was a bit outdated. So now everything in there is really, really relevant, is really up to date. Uh, so it's free and it covers a wide range of topics when it comes to remote work. So things like how to brainstorm remotely, how to build trust in a remote team, how to find and create your, your optimal work environment. So it's got something for, I think, really almost every topic you could think of when it comes to remote work. So I definitely recommend checking it out. And yeah, it will be in the show notes. Amazing. Uh, I have a question about, um, okay, so we have the privilege right now to work in a remote team, like many people in the world, by the way, uh, the UX Learning Hub is also um, a remote team. Um, do you have any tips to automate 
your workflow in a remote team using like tools like Zapier? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it really, okay. The thing is this really, really depends on your role and your company. Right. Um, so I would say that maybe the zaps that are most useful for me are really, really specific because they have to do a lot with content design, but if you, you can talk you about them. To, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. They'll, they'll, um, in that case, I will just share some of the ones that I use a lot. So, for example, one thing, oh, one thing that's really helpful, and this one is regardless of what role you're in, is to create a zap that basically sets up um, when, when you have a, a, a new Slack message that you star or you save, I think they recently changed it to save, it automatically creates a to-do card in your Trello board. And this one is so simple, but Amazing. it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it makes things so much easier because again, when you're remote, right, so much of that conversation happens in, in Slack. So sometimes you will have things to do or you will have these tasks that you have to follow up on there in Slack and it becomes really easy to forget them or they get, just get lost in the sea of all this communication going on. So it's a really simple thing of just like saving the message and then it automatically creates a card in Trello. So that's one that I love and use a lot. Um, another one that I think I, I, I've heard recently, so I'm not a parent, but I want to share a zap that a parent at Zapier created because I think it is really relevant to all the parents right now who are juggling having to work from home and taking care of their kid. So what he did was he set up a zap that um, I think links to a spreadsheet or something like that. And then basically every morning, what it will do is it will send an email to his kids and bring them on like a treasure hunt. So it's, it's things that don't even have to do with work, but in some ways it helps work, right? It's the idea of like, okay, how can I keep my kids busy? How can I keep them entertained while I'm doing work? And it's really funny because I don't think a lot of people would think about it that way, but you can use automation to do something like that. Right, exactly. This is an amazing concept, like how you can uh, um, automate flow based on different behavior. That's what, that's the magic of Zapier. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, if you out there listening and you have kids and you want to make them a little bit more busy, so you can create with Zapier uh, a treasure hunt uh, adventure for children using email and a few apps, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and you know, if you want to check out more apps that will be beneficial to your workflow, um, I believe you can just uh, Google them. I we did put up a list recently, so that's something I'll probably be able to share with you maybe after the interview, so that you can add that to the notes. I would love that because, to be honest, my my biggest issue with Zapier was that it took me approximately around, and it, it, it sounds a lot, but it took me like two hours, two years and a half to understand mm -hmm. what would be the best zaps for me. Mm -hmm. so I was like mm -hmm. playing around with mm -hmm. recipes. I knew that I needed it. Yeah. I actually paid for it for like two years without using it at all because I knew, oh, wow. I knew that I needed it. It was a little mm -hmm. bit stupid, I guess, but I, I actually did it. <laughs> But, but eventually when I start using it, it was like, oh, okay. A lot of like, um, it became all, it, it made sense at some point. But um, just going to all of the recipes was so overwhelming for me back in 2017, I, I would say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think we're, we're doing a lot of work this year to make finding and sharing a zap a lot easier. 
uh, we're trying to give people more inspiration when it comes to how to use Zapier. Because the thing about Zapier is it's a it's a double-edged sword, I guess, right? It's so open and it's so it's kind of a sandbox. You can do anything that you want. But because of that, some people struggle to think of how they can make Zapier uh, relevant to their everyday life, how they can use it to make their lives easier. Uh, so that's a big focus for us this year, which is just to help people find out um, or find a zap that will help them and get inspired with other use cases, other things that might be relevant to their role, might be relevant to maybe the size of their company, might be relevant to the kinds of things that they work on in their everyday you know, work life. Amazing. I'm sure it will be super useful. And I will also share the the list that you're going to send me also in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, about the tools that you're using, you probably, I think that you're using Figma, right? Yeah, so when it comes to apps and software, I guess there are probably five apps that are the cornerstones of my workflow. So Zoom, obviously, which we talked about a lot, Slack as well, uh, Trello, uh, Figma, and Coda. So Zoom, obviously, for meetings, Slack for virtual communication, Trello to keep track of my tasks and my projects, uh, Coda to document the work that I do, and then Figma, which uh, I think you were just talking about, which is to collaborate with designers on writing. And of course, again, there's yeah, Zapier that underlies it all, where I use a lot of Zapier to automate a lot of stuff that goes on between these different apps that I use. The fact that the, that the team of Zapier using Zapier means that it's a good product. Oh yeah, we dog fooded a lot. We dog fooded a lot. Um, I am not familiar with Coda that much, by the way. Oh, okay. Um, so Coda is kind of like a really, really fancy Google Doc. Um, it's it's much more flexible and it's much more powerful than a Google Doc. So, are you familiar with Airtable? Airtable is my uh, love these days. Yeah. Okay. Great. So, I think a good analogy is. Uh, Coda is to Google Docs what Airtable is to spreadsheets. Got it. Okay, so I have to test yeah. it now. I have to try. Oh yeah, yeah, it's great. It's it's definitely great for collaboration. It's um, it's much once you work out of it, I think you'll see what I mean. It's much easier to create sections. It's much easier to cross-link things and reference things, um, and to add in like different macros, add in different elements. It's it's much more uh, customizable that way. Nice. And uh, when you work with uh, Figma, so how does your, let's say that right now you have a task and you work on a feature, on onboarding feature, for example, mm -hmm. and uh, you work with the UX designers and the research team and you need to collaborate, um, of course. So how would you communicate your um, your Let's say that you, you finished to write and you mm -hmm, finished mm -hmm. with your process. So would you create some, something similar to copy docs or would it look like a copy on Figma? So how does it work exactly when you need to communicate your work to your team members? Yep. Uh, so one of the good things about Zapier is I think, you know, before we were talking about trust, right? So I know that there are some companies Companies where designers are very, very protective of their design files and they won't let anyone else touch them. Um, but the good thing is that I do have edit access to all the Figma files that the different designers are working on. So there's a big element of trust there, right? When I make a change, they have to trust that I know what I'm doing, that they'll be able to ask me about the change, they'll be able to track the change. So 
what I might do, for example, is I would update maybe the copy directly in Figma, but I would leave maybe a few comments for follow-up or to talk a little bit more about why I made a decision or to ask questions. Uh, so, or sometimes I might, we might have a Slack thread where we're talking about a specific project and then we might have some questions back and forth. Um, I think definitely something I've been using recently, uh, which you've probably heard of is, which I really think is a game changer in this field is Ditto. Um, so it's both an Airtable plugin, uh, not Airtable, it's both a Figma plugin and a web app. So it basically allows like designers and writers to collaborate on copy and to manage the product content that they have with basically like a central source of truth. So this has been such a lifesaver for me when it comes to updating copy, copy for example, in multiple instances of the same component in Figma. So I don't have to like manually go into each component and change what's exactly the same string. I can just do it all in ditto and then there's this function called sync with duplicates and project and that's exactly what it is it looks for every duplicate component and it updates the copy in all of those and that has saved me so that alone i think has made this so valuable to add it to my workflow but at the same time you know there are also other really cool features like being able to easily review edit history which is a big thing right in figma that's not usually very apparent to go into version history it's not really that user-friendly or it's not really something you would use that often unless you really wanted to check something pretty serious that happened but when it comes to using ditto it's really easy because it's just in the plugin you can see all the changes in the window and you can tag things uh you know with like different users or you, you can tag things with different statuses so for example if you want someone to review something you could put in each review if it's done you could put final so uh yeah i'm really excited about this tool and one of the things that i'm actually doing right now is i'm working on a trial adoption plan for our designers to see how we can really officially incorporate it into the design and the product workflow amazing yes i'm actually familiar with the uh, because of the Facebook groups, I'm familiar with a few teams that work on the, including the team of Ditto, that working on how to mm -hmm. create better collabs between uh, writers and designers. And I'm so happy that there is a team that find a way how to make it uh, um, useful. That's amazing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, one of the things that I, I think of a lot when it comes to this field, you know, of UX writing and content design, in, in my opinion, it's it's kind of where maybe UX research was a few years ago. So it's following a very similar path in that it's becoming more popular right now. It's becoming more in demand, but the education and the tools are lagging a little bit behind. Uh, right. So the UX research tools have improved so much, right? In the last like five years, we have so many different options now for researchers and for test user testing. Um, we haven't really come a long way yet when it comes to tools for UX writing and content design. So I'm really glad to see that now there are some teams that are dedicated to working on this problem space because it is a very unique problem space. And a lot of UX writers and content designers definitely want to have these things happen, but you know maybe they're not developers or they don't have time to work on this. So it's really, really exciting to see that there are people with the skills and the ability to, to create such products for us. Mm -hmm. I agree. There is also a team here in Israel. Their name is uh, Frontitude, and they create uh, mm -hmm. this plugin for Figma that uh, can sync with the Google Sheets, but you can actually change the string and it will change it in the Figma file. It's like double sizing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was pretty impressive when I checked it out. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I've seen another person uh, publishing about uh, a Figma plugin, and uh, 
I don't know what's going to happen. I think that I'm seeing also like uh, bigger products are going into content operation, like uh, maybe mm-hmm, content fuel mm-hmm. and uh, all kinds of products like that. So I'm very excited to see what, what's going to happen in this field. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Um, all right. So uh, that's about it. Uh, it was really nice to have you today. By the way, um, what is your most recommended uh, book for uh, UX writers? Oh, for definitely, definitely, hands down, writing is designing. Um, I believe, let me see, that is by uh, Michael J. Metz and Andy Welfel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that has been such an amazing book. That book just came out um, at the beginning of this year, but it, I, I've read a lot of other books in, on this topic and um, in this field. This one is probably the best when it comes to wrapping everything up and just um, consolidating and uh, talking about what UX writing and content design is in just one book. And because it's such a new book, it's also very up to date with the examples it uses. Um, they also interviewed a lot of people that have written other books in the past on the topic on like content strategy in general. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, they have quotes from like Christina Halverson, who is mm-hmm. legendary when it comes to content strategy. Um, also people like Nicole Fenton, Sarah Richards. Um, and then when it comes to the UX space specifically, they also have spoken with, uh, I remember in the book, Erica Hall and Jared Spool, who were on your podcast. Mm-hmm. And anyone who knows you know them knows, again, how amazing and how influential they are in the field of user experience. So definitely, I would recommend this book. Um, it, if you're new, um, even if you're not primarily a content writer or a UX writer, it really helps you understand why writing is designing and why it's not just putting a bunch of words together. How how, you know, even making decisions that look like they will be simple are actually quite complicated because you have to consider where the user is in their journey, what they're feeling when they get there. Um, so yeah, I just highly, highly recommend that book. Though this is a really, really, really great book. I have a copy of it as well. Um, and uh, yeah, they interviewed also a lot of interesting people, as I said, pretty cool. Um, thank you so much for uh, being here. I had a lot of fun speaking with you today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Yuval. I I really enjoy being here today. And, you know, I just want to say that for everyone out there, you know, I know this is a really scary and uncertain time. So, you know, we're all doing the best that we can and we're all really learning how to adapt to these new circumstances together. So I hope that everyone has the support that you need in your personal life and your work life. And if not, like, I, I really hope you seek it out from your friends or family or even try services like, online therapy and counseling. So I I really hope that what we talked about today has been helpful to those of you that are new in remote work and that you'll find some of the tips and insights I've shared immediately actionable in in your everyday life. Thank you so much. It's been actually super useful and I can't wait to to, um, publish this episode already. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's definitely a very good time for this to come out now. (laughs) Very good time. Thank you so much. I'll add uh, also a link to your uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well, so people could reach out. Okay, yeah, sounds good. Thank you so much, Yuval. Thank you. Have a good day. All right, cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Writers in Tech. If you like our podcast, then leave us a rating and subscribe so you're updated when a new show comes out. For more UX writing goodies, sign up for our UX writing newsletter at uxwritinghub.com. Thanks again, and that's all for this week.